here. I hope you had a great week and looking forward to kicking off another good week. We are going to be rounding up the end of our series entitled Love Did This as we look at the life of Jonah. And if this is your first time with us, don't worry. I will catch you up to speed on all that's been happening in this amazing short book of just four chapters. We're in Jonah chapter number four this morning. But let me just follow up just by way of just kind of bringing us up to speed. Jonah is this character who God comes to him and God tells him to go to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah, instead of being obedient to God's call, decides to run from God. And uh, he decides instead of making the 500 mile journey from where his home is to the city of Nineveh, he instead decides to charter a boat and had 25,000 or 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Sometimes we cause more difficulty by our disobedience than by our simple obedience. If we would just simply follow God, sometimes it's just a little bit easier. And we said in week number one that as we try to run from God, you may be able to run from God, but you can't outrun God. You can run from him, but you can't outrun him. His love pursues us. The Bible says, surely and good, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God's love pursues us. And we said our church is motivated by this. We said that love is the reason that it met us. Love moves us, and love is what matters to us. Week number two, we talked about how in chapter two, Jonah is swallowed by a whale, but in this whale's belly that Jonah cries out to God. It's the first time you hear this prophet, one of 50 prophets in the entire Old Testament. He finally, in chapter 2, cries out to God. And we said that we can have a revival even out of the wreckage of our life. That God can once again do a great work. But we'll never experience the revival as long as we're running. As we continue to run from God, we will not experience his reviving, his restoration, his renewal in our lives. So we have to make a decision. It's interesting, though, that Jonah, he gets a chance at a second chance. He gets that, doesn't he? And God gives him the the chance to go back and to preach to Nineveh. God is a loving God. He doesn't just write him off for one mistake. And it's interesting because Satan didn't get a second chance. Satan rebelled against God, and God said, that's it. You're done. One and done. You and I are the only creation that God gives a second chance to is people. That should just encourage you this morning. That should just kind of bless your heart to know that we're the only part of God's creation where he says, hey, you may have messed up. You may have fallen down, but hey, get back up. And then week number three, we talked about how Nineveh needs you. That Jonah was saying no to Nineveh, his assignment. God has given all of us an assignment. And when we look at our assignment, sometimes we think, well, our assignment is too great. But we need to understand that God's assistance always comes with his assignment. Bible says in the New Testament, his grace is sufficient for you. That no matter what the struggle, his strength will be there for you. So whatever you're going through, maybe it be very difficult, or maybe it's just something that just you weren't expecting. God's grace is with you. And this week, we're going to dive into chapter number four as we kind of round out this book. You see, Jonah, he's going to preach to this city. In chapter three, he goes to the city and he just gives a five word message in Hebrew. And he basically tells the city that in 40 days, God's going to destroy the city. And he leaves the city. It's a very large city. The Bible in this book tells us that it's a great city. And in this great city, Jonah goes a day's journey. It's three days journey to get across it. But Jonah goes one day's journey into the city and he gives his five word message. Very short, but very powerful. 
You see, we need to remember that we are actually powerless in this life. It's only God who is powerful. It's only God who gives us the strength. And it was God who used Moses or no, uh, no, uh, this, this Jonah's message in a powerful way. So we need to be ready to say, God, I'm just surrendered to whatever you have for me. And so it's, it's a wonderful reminder that a small little act can have such great implication. So maybe it's something this week that maybe you'll just do the small act. Maybe it's just a phone call to somebody. Maybe it's just saying hello to somebody. It's that small act. You never know how God will use a small act in a powerful way. Well, let's dive into chapter 4 as we kind of conclude our series. And let's go through the, the, the just 11 verses, and we'll just see what God has for us this morning. And uh, verse number 1, the Bible says this, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. You see, why was Jonah angry? Because he had preached, and all of a sudden, the whole city is repenting. The whole city's turning back to God. He was not expecting, nor did he want them to return back to God. He just wanted to do his part, just, hey, do the bare minimum, and then get out. But then he sees the city starting to repent, so he gets angry. Then, in verse 2, he prays to the Lord. And notice what he prays. He doesn't pray, God, I pray that you would establish a church. God, I pray that you establish a work here. No, he prays the Lord, and he says, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then God kind of has this pause as, as, you, as you dive in and kind of look at it. There's this almost a pregnant pause. It's kind of like God is waiting for Jonah just to vent, waiting for Jonah just to kind of let all the steam out. And then God finally answers him. And I love the way God answers because he answers with the question. He says, is it right for you to be angry? And it's interesting because Jonah doesn't respond. He doesn't say anything. Here, God asks him a question, and he's just quiet. Sometimes after we've had a little temper tantrum, after we've thrown a little fit, it's, it's one of those where we, 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 we know we've kind of done something wrong, and we just don't say anything. Somebody will say, are you done? And you just, just shut up, leave me alone. You know, we just, we, just, we just want to be left alone. But here, Jonah, God asked him a question. And then the Bible says that Jonah had gone out and sat down at a, piece, uh, at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Verse 6, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. This is the first time we see Jonah happy. He's happy because of a plant. Verse number 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Once again, God speaks, but he speaks in a question. And finally, Jonah's going to answer. And God says, is it? He said, am I so angry? I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Isn't it interesting we worry about things that are here today and gone tomorrow? We can spend a lot of time this week fretting and worrying about things that are just temporary. Just things that aren't going to matter. We can get so hyped up, so worked up, so frustrated, so uh, heated, so hot under the collar that it disrupts our life and everybody's lives around us. Why? For something so simple. 
something so small, something so insignificant. Here, Jonah is choosing a plant over people. Sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? Sounds pretty stupid. Sounds pretty silly that he would get so upset that he is now having suicidal thoughts because his fern died. And some of us, your, your prized rose bushes, you may get upset when they pass away. Or maybe you've got a tree, or maybe you've got a bush that you love, or some plants that you planted. And here is Jonah. He is, he is depressed, he's discouraged, he's suicidal because of a plant. It's something so simple, something so silly, but yet it's so much like us. We can get worked up about something so small and so insignificant. We can let something that somebody said or something that somebody didn't do, somebody didn't remember our birthday, somebody forgot our anniversary, or somebody didn't remember that we were going to show up and be there, and something happened where we get offended, we can let something just bother us to great extent. But the Bible came to him. God says, why are you so worried? You didn't create it. You didn't make it grow. You didn't kill it. It's gone. And then God turns Jonah's attention to what this book is really all about. Notice, if you would, verse number 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? He's he's correlating. He's saying, hey, in verse number 10, you have this plant. You're so worked up. You're so frustrated about a plant. And then God's going to help him in verse number 11. He said, but there's this great city. You're worried about the plant. I'm worried about the people. You're worried about the plant. God's worried about the people. God's always more concerned with people than he is anything else. It's all about people. You see, God comes to him and he tells him, why are you so concerned? There's this great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Now, I did some research this week and I discovered that right hand from their left. Here's what he's actually talking about. God is saying there's 120,000 children. That's who didn't know the right hand from the left. Adults know their right hand from the left. God is trying to get Jonah to care about something. Apparently, he doesn't care about the people. Will he at least care about the children? No answer. Nothing. But notice, God continues. He says there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. I love how God just ends it with the animals. And then God ends it with a question mark. You see it? There's a question mark. Don't you care? Okay, you don't care about the people. You don't care about the children. Do you at least care about the animals? Come on. Do you see what God's doing? He's keep lowering the bar. Like, you got to care about something. And the crux of this is that all throughout the book of Jonah, God has done some incredible miracles. But they weren't for Jonah, were they? You see, Jonah wasn't working in step with God. God was having to work in spite of Jonah. I think some of us, God is working in spite of us and not through us. God wants to do a great work through you in your life. God wants to work through you in your job. God wants to work through you, but he can't because you're so filled with self. You're so filled with your plants. You're so filled with things that don't matter. And God is trying to reorient our priorities, trying to get us back in his alignment. And he's saying, hey, here's what actually matters. And as we begin this new year, I think this is a very fitting message to get ourselves realigned to the vision and mission that God has given us. Because it's really easy to find our plans. It's really easy to find things that simply don't matter. But we've got to come back to what God has 
called us to. Are we working in step with God, or is God having to work in spite of us? There's a great little book I read in literature class. It was called In His Steps. Anybody ever heard of the book In His Steps? There's a few of us that have read it. It is by R. Sheldon. It's a great classic. It was written in the uh, late 1800s, and this book has sold over 30 million copies. Here's why this book is famous. You've actually all have heard about it. You say, no, I haven't heard about it. Yes, you have, because out of this book, it's based on a fictional character, this fictional pastor, and this pastor, he's pastor in the small country church, and he decides for one year to challenge his church with one little phrase. He asks his church for the next year to ask themselves a question before they did anything. Here was the question this pastor in this fictional book asked, and all of a sudden, it's going to ring a bell. He said, for one year, church, let's ask ourselves the question before we do anything. What would Jesus do? Now, let me see. How many ever heard of that? Oh, there's a few more of us. There we go. Yes, a few more. Out of that book is where we got the bracelets, the T-shirts, and the big craze through the 90s, the what would Jesus do, the WWJD. And that's exactly what we're supposed to have, that heartbeat, that what would Jesus do? What would Jesus want in this situation? But here, Jonah, instead of following the leading of God, he's now following his own emotions. I want to back up for a second and notice, if you would, in verse number 5. The Bible says that Jonah, he goes out to the east and he sits down to watch and see what's going to happen to the city. He's waiting to see what's going to happen. Notice, he then sits down, he builds a booth to cover himself, and he's going to watch what's going to happen to the city. So I see that his posture is passive. His posture is that, hey, just whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And some of us, that's how we're approaching this year. Uh, Whatever happens in 2018 is just going to happen. I'm just taking a passive posture. I don't really care one way or the other. Instead of saying, no, 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 this is going to be the year that I'm going to engage with it. I'm going to do all that I can, all that God's called me to do. I'm not just going to take a passive posture and be a spectator on my life. And some of us, it's really easy to be a spectator on our own life. No one else is going to live your life for you. You see, I go back to this question, is God working in spite of you? Here, Jonah, he is taking a passive posture. God's just saved a city, and he's just, God's saying, really? I'm having to work in spite of you? How much more could we accomplish, Jonah, if you'd go down to that city, start a church, disciple some people? They're already saved. The hard work's already been done. I did all the work. You just show up and be the hero of the city. They may make you mayor. They may make you, uh, they may celebrate you. I mean, they may throw you a party. They will get you another plant probably. Probably get you all the plants you want. You're so frustrated about your plant. And here, Jonah, he's just, no, I'm good. And I think that's some of us. We come to Sunday. I'm good. Just, man, if the message works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If I pray, I pray. If I read the Bible, I read the Bible. If I serve, I serve. I'm just taking a passive posture. Just kind of disengaged. And I know why we go passive, because we don't want to get hurt. Because the moment we engage, we start to put ourselves out there, don't we? And then we start to make ourselves vulnerable. And if there's one thing we hate, it's vulnerability, right? Like, come on, we don't want to make ourselves vulnerable. Like, some of us, we've had that dream that we're naked in the airport dream. And I know you shouldn't talk about that in church, but it's just like we had that dream where we just feel so vulnerable. And you're just like, this is a very vulnerable feeling. I don't like feeling. No one in this room likes to feel vulnerable. But the fact that you feel vulnerable is to be human because we are vulnerable. And here, Jonah, he doesn't want to put himself out there. He doesn't want to make himself vulnerable because that's the only way is when we become vulnerable. When we say, God, you know what? I'm not going to take a passive posture. I'm going to step into the mess 
of this city. I'm going to step into the mess of this, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to engage God. I don't have all the answers. I don't know exactly what to do, but I refuse to be passive. And it's, for most of us, a defense mechanism why we go passive. It's like, I just want to engage. Your spouse is upset with you. I'll just go passive. I'll just tune them out. I'll just get on my laptop. I'll just get on my computer. I'll just go to work. I'll just go passive on them. I'll just disengage. And it's a defense mechanism. I don't want to deal with the headaches, and I don't want to deal with it, so I just go passive. It's funny because we want the privileges of being God's child, but we don't want the pressure that's associated with it. We like privilege, but without pressure. Haven't you noticed that? Everybody wants the crown. Nobody wants the cross. Everybody wants the fruit. Nobody wants to fight. Everybody loves to have a body that's from the gym, but nobody wants to get up early and go to the gym. It's one of those things where we look at something else. Oh, that would be nice to have. I want the privileges of that, but I don't want the pressure associated with that. You see, Jonah wants the plan. He wants the privilege that God's going to bless him and favor him and cover him, but he doesn't want the pressure associated with it. I know there's a lot of people, we, there are certain things that we want this morning. Oh, we want a relationship, or we want a new house, or we want the promotion. There is pressure associated with that. All of life is pressure. Every new stage of life is a new pressure. And sometimes we'll want something, and when we get there, we're like, wait, this is a lot of pressure. Yes, it is. Welcome to life. Oh, I can't wait to have children. Once you get children, this is a lot of pressure. They eat and make a lot of messes. And wait till you have more. It just keeps compounding. It just keeps on going. You say, oh, man, I really want to be the manager at my firm. Excellent. As soon as you get there, you're like, wow, this is a lot of work. I'm working a lot more hours. Yes, welcome to the pressure. Oh, I would love to be an owner of a company. That's great. Be the owner of a company. Wow, this is a lot of pressure. I've got to pay my own bills. I've got to take care of this. I've got to pay the employees. Yes, welcome to the pressure. Oh, I want to be used by God. Then you're going to experience the pressure. You're going to experience the responsibility. You're going to experience that God is going to use you. But everything in life comes with pressure. But notice this. As soon as Jonah escapes the pressure, he goes back to disobedience. You see, when God uses pressure, that's when Jonah goes back and says, okay, God, I'll follow you. What was the pressure? It came in the form of a storm. It came in the form of a whale. And those got his attention. All of a sudden, that pressure is going to drive him to be obedient. Now the pressure's over. He, he did his thing. Hey, I, I, I preached to the city. That's all over. So I'm going to go back to my heart. I'm going to go do my, what I want to do. I'm done dealing with that. We want the privilege. We don't want the pressure. So pressure can help us make some good decisions, but also sometimes it'll help us make some bad decisions. Some people, they got divorced. Why? Because of the pressure. Some people quit a job. Why? Because of the pressure. Some people cheated on a spouse. Why? Because of the pressure. Some people stole from their company. Why? Because of the pressure. Some people uh, turn to uh, an addictive substance. Why? Because of the pressure. Pressure will lead you to do good things, but it'll also lead you to do some destructive things. So how are you managing the pressure? Once the pressure was gone, he then felt free to do his own thing. So how are you dealing with it? Is your posture passive? Are you watching what you should be working this year? God has a great goal for us. He's got great things he wants to accomplish in you and through you. But are you going to be the person that God's like, really, I have to work in spite of you? You're going to be this roadblock? And it's one of those things where we block our own blessing. God wants to work. But we block the blessing. Jonah could have been mightily used, but he's blocking his blessing. Why? Notice, here's why. Verse number one, it displeased Jonah greatly. And he was angry that God had poured out a revival on this city. 
And then in verse number 9, he's angry again, and he's suicidal. What is this? His first problem, we see his posture is passive, but then we see his problem is self-pity. You ever had one of those days? Just a self-pity day? Hey, I just, I just need to have my own day. I just need to be filled with me. I just need to uh, uh, help me. Instead of learning how to deal with the disappointment, he's just going to feel pity on himself. Instead of saying, you know what, God, you've got a plan. Instead of having the right response, he's just upset. You see, progress was not his problem. Do you get that? He is successful. Some of you think, if I was just successful, I would not feel this way. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. He is successful. The city is saved. He's been obedient to God. And yet he still feels full of self. Why? Because he's made an idol of himself. That's what he's done. And some of us, we feel like, man, if I just had that house, if I just had that promotion, if I just had this, then guess what? My problems would be over. I wouldn't feel this way. No, no. You're tying your identity and your happiness to a thing, and a thing can never fully satisfy. And that's why when the thing is gone, you're disappointed. Notice who, where he tied his, his joy to. The Bible, the only time we see that Jonah is happy is over this plant. And when the plant dies, what happens to his happiness? It's gone. Some of us, we tie our hopes, identity, and joy to a person. And then when the person leaves us or the person betrays us, all of a sudden, life goes into a spiral. God never meant for us to have idols. He meant for us to worship him. This is why in the Ten Commandments, he said, Thou shalt worship the Lord only, him as your Lord, him as your God. Why? Because you're not supposed to have any other idols. But we are idol-making factories, aren't we? It's amazing what can be an idol. It it can be something so simple. It could be your car. It could be your golf clubs. It could be your Pinterest account. It could be your your Facebook status or the likes. It could be your image. It could be what people think of you. Anything. This past week, I was so convicted. You say, why? Because I love to give people gifts. Now, here's here's the thing for me. I love to give people gifts, but here's why. Because I really want to manipulate your love and view of me. Oh, that's pretty real, isn't it? Most people won't say that. Most people won't say, the reason I'm giving you gifts is so you like me more. What is that? That's not, that's manipulation of like. That's manipulation of love. But it's why, it's how I notice. And I told my wife, I said, I do this. She said, yeah, you do. I said, wow, that's not healthy. She said, no, because you're not giving anybody a chance to know you for you. I said, wow, my wife's actually pretty smart. Incredible. Wow, thank you, Lord. You're so good. I knew that before. That's why I married her. But it's amazing how we do things and we don't understand why we do it. That we just step back and we just think, you know what? I'm doing this to be so kind and so lovely. No, no, no. I just want people to see me. I just want people to be like, wow, he's a really nice guy. What is that? That's called pride. Does God bless our pride? No. And we all do it. We all have that defense mechanism, that thing we put up to say, God, I want to be liked because we want to make ourselves the idol. It's our story. It's all about us. Instead of saying, wait a minute, God, it's all about you. And this self-pity masks itself. You see, you need to understand that our response is more important than the reason God sent you. Sometimes God just wants to see our response. I remember I grew up, or I was born in Santa Clara, and I spent about four years off of uh, its... uh, Tully and Lanai, just before King, kind of the east side, lived there. They're across the street from that. It's the giant two-story Chuck E. Cheese. Anybody ever seen the giant two-story Chuck E. Cheese on the one-on-one? Yeah, exactly. So we would go over there, and it was awesome. 
Now, nowadays, you're like, yeah, put up your ballistic vest, got my mace, got my gun. I'm ready to go to Chuck E. Cheese now. I mean, that's, that's what it is now. But back when I was there, it was a little bit safer in the 80s, okay? And we would go there, and that was the place. And you could see as my parents had a little bit more uh, income, the, the, the fun things we got to do kind of increased. So it was all about Chuck E. Cheese. And I'm telling you, you want to have a great day, you take us to Chuck E. Cheese. And, man, that was an amazing day. Then one day my parents said, we're going to go to Disneyland. I said, I don't want to go to Disneyland. I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Because I was loyal to only one mouse. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's Chucky. Mm-hmm. Not Mickey. All right. And my parents, they could not convince me that Disneyland was better. You say, why? I'd never been to Disneyland. What was I doing? I was blocking my own blessing. I was throwing a fit because we couldn't go to Chuck E. Cheese. We had to go to Disneyland. And I was screaming and whining, who wants to go to Disneyland? So finally, my parents, in their infinite wisdom, decided, we're just going to go. We're not going to tell them when we're going to go. So in the middle of the night, they woke us up, put us in the car. And then when I woke up again, I was at Disneyland. And all of a sudden, I began to see the rides. And all of a sudden, you began to see all the characters. And all of a sudden, I was loyal to a new mouse. It was like, you are out, man. I have found the promised land. I'm not leaving. The only problem is now my parents created a monster because they were like, guess what? We're going to Chuck E. Cheese. No, I want to go to Disneyland. You know, and it just it, it, it shot them in the foot. But isn't that how we do it? Isn't that how we do it? We say, God, I really want this lesser thing. And God's like, but I have so much more for you. I love reading Psalms 12. The Bible says, at my right hand are riches and, riches and pleasures forevermore. You see, what happens is we believe the lie of the enemy that says, hey, this is going to feel really good. This is going to taste really good. This is going to be really good for you. And it lasts a moment. Here's the thing. Satan does not lie about the pleasure. He lies about how long it lasts. That's what he lies about. Oh, sin feels good. Oh, it does. And if it doesn't, you just ain't doing it right, okay? Sin does feel good. There is something about sin that our flesh craves, it wants. And so you and I need to step back and say, wait a minute. The problem is me. The problem is I'm focused on myself. And too often we can't enjoy what is because we're wishing for what was. See, God wants us to move us on to another life. He wants to give us his riches. He wants to bless us. But we're so focused on ourselves. Why? Because we are choosing the wrong priorities notice this if you would write it down his priorities are misplaced we see first of all his posture is passive his problem is self-pity but his priorities are misplaced and God's going to realign his priorities his priorities are not about the plant but it's about people and God is saying hey let's get our priorities right and at the outset of this year how are your priorities is it God first Is it something where, yes, it's God first after the Super Bowl, but on Super Bowl Sunday, I have a different God that I worship. I paint my face, I put on his outfit, and I worship the the pigskin God. Is Is that it? Or is it something where we say, you know what, God, you are my priority. You are center of my life. But too many of us, we're picking the plants over people. We're choosing the lesser for the greater. And God is trying to reorient our lives. And I don't care how beautiful your plant or your vegetable is. Does it compare to a person? Does it compare to the value of a soul? In Scripture, in the New Testament, it says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? God is saying, you can take all the riches and treasures of this world and compile them, and it does not equal the value of a soul. Why? Because Jesus shed his blood for you. 
And here's the thing, when it comes to serving God and giving back to God, isn't it interesting that how we serve God is, hey, God, I'll give you spare time and spare change, and hopefully we change the world? When God didn't say, okay, how many drops of blood do you need exactly? No. He didn't say, okay, exactly how long do I need to stay on that cross? No, he's like, I'm going to pour myself out for you. I'm going to spill my blood for you. He didn't just give 10% of his blood. He didn't just give a part of it. He said, no, no, I'm giving my life, my whole, all of me. And I'm going to offer it. I'm going to give it. Why? Because God chose us. God chose us above his creation. And he said, look, you, I've chosen you. God wants us to have that heartbeat. That we no longer pick the lesser for the greater. That now we see the gospel has realigned and has reoriented me. So that I only see him. But you know why his priorities were off? Notice this, it's interesting. Because the Bible says in verse number 5 that he goes out of the city and then he looks on the city. Do you see it in verse number 5? He's turning and he's looking to the city. Let me read it. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him booth. And he sat under it in the window till he might see what would become of the city. So his vision, his focus is on the city. Here's the problem. You and I are filled with wrong priorities. And here's why. Because we glance at God and we gaze at the world. Let me say it again. Our schedules are busy, so we only glance at God, but we gaze at the world. We gaze at these things. We fix our eyes on them, our focus, our attention. Where is he looking? The Bible talks about that our vision will fuel our focus. And so instead of being looking at God, looking at him and allowing that to change him, he's looking at this city. And it's fueling this anger, this animosity, this hatred as he's looking at this thing. What are you looking at this year? Are you looking deep in his word? Are you looking at the face of God? Or are you just looking at your problems? Are you just looking at the people that you're upset with? Or are you just looking at the plants? Or are you looking at Jesus? There's this old hymn we used to sing. And it said this, look deep in his wonderful face. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. A.W. Tozer says this, and I love how he words it. Christians don't tell lies, we only sing them. We'll sing a song of revelation that you are holy, holy, holy. Do we know what that word means? Do we know what it means to be holy? To know what it means that Jesus, that God is three times, thrice holy, that he is set apart, he is above everything. When we sang that song, it is the fact like you used to have fine china. Nowadays, that's a lost art of fine china. But that's silverware you just don't use on everyday occasion. It's something reserved for special occasions. And that is God. He is something special. He's something precious. He is something you don't just mess with on every day. It's something that you hold in high regard. And yet we bring God down to our level. And God is not on our level. God is high and above. He's lifted beyond anything we can comprehend. And you and I, we need to not just glance at him, but gaze at him and allow our gaze of God to transform us. God is not just trying to convict you this morning. He is trying to conform you to his image and how he does this when we gaze at him. So many times we just glance at the word. Oh, I got to get my devotion. Got to get my quiet time. What's the verse of the day? Oh, I don't have much time, so I'll just pray on the road. I don't have a lot of time to spend with God. I find that you and I are infinitely in control of our own schedules. Time is like money. You tell your money to go, you can tell your time where to go. You can make time for what's important. So as we start this year, what are you gazing at? What has captured your affection? I love looking at beautiful artwork. This week I was talking with a person that had a Warhol in his house, and I was just transfixed by it. I was saying, that's just amazing. 
It captured my attention. When was the last time you gazed up at God and he captured your heart? He won your affection where you just wanted to stay there, where it was so hard for you to get up from that place where you were meeting and gazing at God. Jonah, his priorities are off. Why? Because of what he's looking at. The more you look at the car, the more the car will steal your affection. The more you look at that person, the more they will steal your energy and focus. But this morning, as we come before God, would we say, God, I'm going to gaze at you. I'm going to look full in your wonderful face. I want to see you high and lifted up like Nehemiah chapter 6. I want to see him. I want to see him lifted up. I want to see him in, 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 in his majesty and in his splendor. Or we'll just continue going through life with the wrong priorities. Let's all stand. There was 120,000 children. And Jonah was choosing plants over people. Is God going to work in spite of you this year? Or are you going to work in step with God? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we need you. God, we want to hear from you, but Father, we need your help to reorient our priorities. This morning, church, whatever you elevate, you will emulate. Whatever you put above God, you are choosing that to be your God. So this morning, put God back in his rightful place. Reorient your desires. Reorient your heart to his his, his plan and his purpose. Would you see him lifted up? Would you look full in his face? And let the things of this earth grow strangely dim. As we behold his glory and his light and his wonderful face. God, I pray for our church this morning. I pray that we would hear from you. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you'd speak loudly, that your voice would not be the still, small voice, but that it would be a thunder, that it would be the storm that calls us out of our self-pity, calls us out of ourself, and calls us to live a life that's fully engaged with you, a life that says we will no longer live for self, we will no longer live for the small things, but we are choosing the greater, we are forsaking the lesser, for we choose God, we will gaze at you this morning. We love you. We pray your blessing and service. Pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.